Welcome to Help From Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? You're listening to Help From Future Self, a conversational Keyforge podcast brought to you by and hopefully listened to by Keyforge pals all around the world. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, also known as Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my Keyforge chums. It's the Wheeling Keyforger, Rick. How are y'all doing out there? And Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's the haps, Blake? Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another week of Help From Future Self. So exciting to be here with you here, gentlemen, as always. Never a dull moment in the world of Keyforge. A couple of topics that we wanted to discuss right off the top of the show, uh, starting off with the fact that we are now reaching the end of the very first month of store leaderboards for Keyforge. Yeah, that's pretty exciting stuff. I mean, everyone was excited about it, I think, because as much as we love the playmats, there comes a point where I think enough is enough, and having this extra sort of incentive to go to weekly events and uh, a very, very enticing uh, prize for the top four finishers, I think, is pretty, pretty nifty. So if you're not familiar with the way store leaderboards works, you can go to keyforgegame.com. And uh, the band across the top has a leaderboards option that you can click on. And it gives you both the vault tour leaderboard, which will only be interesting to those of you who've been to vault tours, but also store leaderboards. And if you click on it, it'll show you every store that signed up all around the world to be uh, a store that gives out leaderboard prizes and track leaderboards. Currently, there are 420 uh, stores signed up for that by complete coincidence. And you can search for the store that you play Keyforge at by name. Just enter the name right in there and hit search. And then uh, with that, basically, it'll show you who's in the first, second, third, and so on place. And of course, the prizes that were just alluded to by Blake are alternate art cards in decks. So if you've won this first month, if you've come in that top four, you're going to get a deck that has an alternate art hawk, which is really cool. Which means also that any deck you get will have shadows in it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Unless it's a Mav. Could always be yep. a Mav. Yeah, I guess that's Mav, true. yep. So one of the interesting things I think about this is kind of what you were saying, Blake, with regards to, you know, playmats being sort of the standard de facto prize at this point. Um, I like the fact that store leaderboards is something that rewards regular attendance, not necessarily winning all the time. Um, I'm what I would call like a, a B average player when it comes to Keyforge. Um, I've won a lot and I've lost a lot. And especially on weekly, I don't th- find that I tend to do incredibly well, but I'm like, you know, ranked relatively decently in the stores that I do attend and play at. If I look at the, uh, the, the results for store leaderboards, and I think that's just regular attendance that does that. And that's a really cool incentive for people to just show up and play. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this first month is, is uh, I guess, a weird one because you had the five-time Ember Shards, which somewhat skewed things in a way because if you missed, I guess, that first period, you basically had no chance. Mm-hmm. So I find that kind of interesting. So this next month, I think, is going to be the true test because it's standardly is you get one Ember Shard for attending and then plus one for each win after that. So the margin you have to go up and down, I think, is much greater and it's going to be a much more of a test of the attendance and and how you do or in the first one it's basically like a one win difference is is quite significant yeah. uh, and especially if you went to more than one event within that that first period and if you missed one you were at a huge disadvantage so i think it's going to be uh, really interesting to see what december has in store for us I am going to make absolutely no events in December so i i have no chances of winning but yeah the the point you make is really important 
Um, one of the things that you have to look at is that, all right, let's assume that you uh, lose every single game uh, that you play over the course of a month of attending events. You would still get four points, which would put you on par with somebody who only came out one time and won, you know, three games. So, That's true. You know, that that means that all you have to do is basically, like, keep coming out, maintain a decent average, and you have a shot of being in that top four. It's not just for the top player to get a deck. It's for, you know, that those top four players. And I think that's a great incentive. It's great for the stores to have something that says, come back every week. We're not giving away a playmat, but there's still something that you can earn just by showing up. Um, great, great initiative. And I think very smart when it comes to uh, uh, an initiative by FFG to make those weekly events seem all the more uh, interesting and enticing. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that uh, um, Alex from FFG said this is going to be an evergreen program, which is kind of cool. I like the fact that uh, it just, you just show up and you have a chance because I'm a decent player, but I don't seem to win a lot. So just, but I am showing up just about every week that I can. So just the reward for attending when you can is a nice plus for me. Yeah, and if I mean if you take down one tournament, that's that's kind of all you need to get, I think get yourself in a good standing as well. If you can take down two, then you're in in really good standing. So, yeah, that's a very good point. Mhm. Like I think you if you're going like every week and you can manage to get even like two wins, that's 3 points every week. So that, that'll add up at the end of the month, especially if other people are having trouble attending and stuff like that. I think it gives everyone kind of a somewhat fair chance based on just the way everyone's schedules and lives work. Really cool. Another thing that we wanted to talk about is the fact that if you listen to the Keyfort podcast episode that came out this past week, uh, Brad Andrus from uh, Fantasy Flight Games, the head designer on Keyforge, and a person who has been very giving when his, with his time when it comes to spending time on podcasts and in other venues, talking about the game, talking about his philosophy of design, what he was thinking about with various things when it came to Keyforge, mentioned offhandedly that there's always going to be house rotation in sets going forward. Uh, that's pretty amazing to hear about because it basically means that Keyforge will be always evolving. Um, yeah, Keyforge always evolving is a great thing. Uh, who who wants to place bets that Sarions get rotated next? Any takers? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Actually, I would I would actually say Sorians, Um, they may stick around, but they may have some of their best cards be uh, be dropped. I think Axiom and Tribute might be on the chopping block. Um, yeah, maybe Cincinnatus. That guy, that guy is is woo. I, I sense the errata coming for that fella. But uh, I don't think so. I don't. I don't think he's consistent enough. That's the thing. He's not consistent enough. I know a whole bunch of people who have decks that just they, they it doesn't fire off as consistently as you think. It's one of those things though. When it does fire though, it is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it is it is interesting that they are rotating, but I the question is do you think we see both Mars and Sanctum come back right away or is it going to be um I'm curious if it's always going to be two or if it's going to be now kind of like a one and one sort of thing. They could literally do anything. Like there's nothing yeah. to say that they couldn't rotate three houses out. Yep, like, that's true, could, yeah. They could rotate out, you know, um Shadows and Brobnar and uh you know maybe grand star alliance keep the saurians bring back mars and sanctum and then add another house you know there's like any number of options that they have there's nothing to say that they can't do like literally any combination of things which is super exciting i agree 
as much as I hate to say this, just with the way they seem in this set, I think maybe Untamed might be leaving next set. I don't know. I don't. I I think that it's going to be Untamed or Brobnar, but I don't think we'll see both. And I I just feel like if you were ever going to rotate Brobnar, now is a good time because I now, feel like there's yeah. a there is a general consensus where people are getting a little tired of Brobnar at this point and. I think that's just, it just makes sense. Or you bring back Brobnar in the next set, which is like a powerhouse. Like you yeah. really make them strong. I think it's got to go one way or the other at this exactly. point. Exactly. What, what do you think, Alex? Um, I would like nothing better than to see Brobnar restored to the heights of glory that I feel like they should have been at with this set. Um, I don't think they're truly as awful as my initial thoughts around them were in Worlds Collide. But I think they need a serious retooling because, um, as I've mentioned numerous times on this podcast, on Twitter, in any conversation anybody wants to have with me on the topic, uh, the Saurians ate their lunch. Like, mm-hmm. the the identity of Brobnar is fight. Yeah. But in Worlds Collide, there are so many things that make that identity not good. There's warding. There's the fact that the Saurians have huge bodies. There's all these other things that basically make fighting not that useful or helpful and not that effective. So suddenly you've just got this house where it's like, unless you can engineer things exactly to get the fights to go well, or you've got a lot of the cards that make the fights worthwhile. I'm thinking of things like barn raising, which invariably you draw when you don't have bodies to make use of it. Or maybe like, say, Ragnarok. You know, it's just, it's, yeah. They, they need a retooling, they need a rethink, and I would very much like to see them, if if that's going to happen, I don't mind them going away for a bit, and then bring them back like crazy, just like, you know, firing on all cylinders. But who's to say? The one request that I have for ch- a change in Robnar, just get rid of NARP. Get rid of Mega NARP, <laughs> get rid of NARP. Just get rid of it, please. You got you got too many of them, huh, Rick? <laughs> yeah, just a few. <laughs> You know what? I went on kind of a rant about this on Twitter the other day. I'll summarize it very quickly here. The problem with NARP is that in a theoretical world in which all houses were roughly equal, NARP would be like, he wouldn't be a great card, but he wouldn't be terrible. He would just be like, okay, he's a big body, but with a drawback. But in a set where it feels like Brobnar is super underpowered, he's like a slap in the face. It's just like going, yeah, you know, I see all these giant Saurian bodies with, you know, all these cool powers, and I see all these Star Alliance characters with these really cool play and fight and reap effects. But uh, yeah, here's 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 this guy, and uh, yeah, he makes it so you can't reap with the guys next to him. Like it just it 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 barely makes sense to me. I, I can't figure it out. It's almost like he was designed by somebody like who wasn't paying attention to the wider card set. I think it would have been cool if they had done it almost like NARP was almost like, um, you know how in Untamed they have Xenos Blood Shadow, which because oh, yeah. it's so powerful, you get this this like derpy toad to offset it. It's like NARP is the offset set to something else, basically. Like there's another card that always comes with NARP, and as a result, it's really good. And maybe it's something that has a crazy fight ability so that you want its neighbor to fight. I feel like that would have been like a cool thing. So like you're like, yeah, I get NARP, but as a trade-off, I get this other card as well. I feel like that would have been kind of a cool thing. Yeah, that's a really cool design. I like that a lot. Um, Love that idea. But uh, I guess we'll see what things happen going forward. I would very much like to see Sanctum back, but I wonder what that identity will look like 
when and if Sanctum returns, like whether that's in the next set or another set, just because a lot of their identity feels like once again, it's kind of been like subsumed into the, uh, the Saurians. Because Could you imagine though, like having that... a Saurian Sanctum deck? Oh, <laughs> just Amber captured left and right. Never getting up or to key. That'd be interesting. As promised on a previous week of the podcast, we're going to sit down uh, and talk a little bit about stuff with regards to the decks that we pulled at Sealed Triad and kind of uh, things we like about them and things we don't like about them. Because I think all of us pulled three decks that have something interesting, but also something that we had to think hard about, whether it was a drawback, how you could play with it, how you could play around it. Um, it. It was just an interesting trio of decks on my part. I know from talking to both of you that you had sort of the same thought. So we were going to go through them right now. So uh, let me start off by throwing it over to Rick. Rick, what, what was the first deck that you pulled? And what's a thing you like about it and a thing you don't like about it? The three decks that I pulled, one of them, the first one that I actually played, it just really intrigued me because of the of the cards in the Brobnar set. I didn't know how they would play. The three uh, houses were Brobnar, Dis, and Saurian. I was happy with the Saurians, how they looked. Was very unsure about the Brobnar. It had three brew cards. Mog Hunter's Brew... Calfine's Brew, and good old Narp's Brew. So I had a Mega Narp in the deck. My Dis was really good. My Saurians were really good. It just seemed like Brobnar was lacking and too many brews, just not enough bodies, not enough other things. So that one didn't go so well. I'm still trying to learn it, actually. What was the name of the deck? The name of the deck was Dajad, quote, Ordinary Person, Oriodis. Last name spelling is O R I O D I S. The ordinary person, quote unquote. Yes. <laughs> that gave me a little giggle. That was the the giggle probably, in my opinion, was the best part of the deck. <laughs> Unfortunately. What about you, Blake? What was your most played deck? So my most played deck was uh, Steward Bison Wolf Iokin, and it's a Brobnar Saurian Star Alliance deck. And this deck ended up being my most played deck just because I didn't always win my first game. So I was having to almost uh, play two games with it sometimes. And I always led with it because it had uh, the potential to do a, a burst burst plays and really give myself an advantage in the game. But basically, the one thing that was really positive about it is it had great Ember control. And it had multiple cards that could control Ember in every house of the deck, even Brobnar, which was pretty impressive. Um and that's why I just loved it is I always had answers to things uh, throughout the game. And, and it was unfortunately it was a bit more grindy of a deck, which made it go a little bit longer. And as a result, it was like half the creatures were in Brobnar for the whole deck I had 19 creatures and nine of them were in Brobnar. Um, and I didn't want to call Brobnar a lot. But the problem was is the the way to generate Ember relied on a board state. So therefore, half of my creatures being in Brobnar sometimes made me have to call them, which kind of sucked because I didn't want to do that. All the fun cards and the cards that did really cool things were in uh, Star Alliance and uh, the Saurians. Um, there was more creatures in, in Star Alliance. The Saurians only had three, and the rest were actions that just did really badass things throughout the, uh, throughout the game, one of them being a tribute with Six Semper Tyrannus, which was really cool. And Alex, how about you? What was your uh, most played? Uh, my most played deck is one by the name of the mold that treats populations. Great name. 
Um, it is a Brobnardis Shadows deck, and it has one really good trick, um, and it works really well in a sealed environment, probably less so if you face the deck more than once. Um, its major trick is that in the dis lineup, it has the Harbinger of Doom and a Soul Snatcher. So if you're not familiar with the Harbinger of Doom, it's a creature with uh, two power, three armor, and its power is that destroyed, destroy each creature. So it's a board clear, essentially. Now, Soul Snatcher, you should all be familiar with because that is an OG Keyforge artifact. And what that one says is each time a creature is destroyed, its owner gains one. And so instantly what happens if you have both those cards on the table is the game suddenly becomes this game of chicken. And the game of chicken is who is going to benefit more from the Harbinger destroying everything? So it's just maneuvering your creatures, trying to bring creatures on and off the table in such a way that you're not destroying them so that, you know, or you are trying to destroy your own creatures so that you get the amber, but you really don't want to pop the harbinger unless you're sure that you'll be able to stop your opponent from forging with whatever amber they get out of it. So it was really cool, but it was super stressful to play. And I had to be really careful with some of my Shadows cards, like Kaimur Eclipse, which, of course, shuffles cards back into the deck from Eat the Flank, um, so as not to get rid of any pieces that I needed. But uh, I ended up doing okay with it. There was a bunch of games in which I was able to, 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 to use it to my advantage. It's big problem, not a ton of Amber control. It has a Ronnie Wrist Clocks, um, and it has uh, uh, Bren the Fanatic, but short of that, uh, it had like a barn raising. And of course, barn raising, very difficult to make functional when you don't want to fight because you're worried about giving your opponent Amber because you've got a Soul Snatcher on the table. Also, any kind of artifact control, getting rid of the Soul Snatcher made it much less effective. Rick, what was your second deck? The one that you played the second most. The second deck, it was called Greyfant, the Rusty Swamp Warboss. Absolutely love that name. Great name. It Again, it was another Brobnar deck. It had Dis and Untamed with it. Uh, the Untamed, quite a few cards I'm I'm new to, so I wasn't quite sure. It seemed to go all right. The Dis in it is absolutely gorgeous. I had a Legacy Ember Imp. I had a Buzzle. Exhumed, Draining Touch. It even had a Hysteria in there. It was just great. And again, Brobnard, not a lot of creatures, not a lot of stuff. It was my weakest house. Sounds like the story of our lives. Yes, definitely. Hit us up with your second one, Blake. So my second one was uh, Z. Schmid, First of the Battle-Worn Temple. It was a Brobnar, Dis, Untamed deck. Now, the one thing that was super positive about this was the entire Dis house. So similar to Rick, it just had literally everything. Hysteria, Poltergeist, two Evil Eyes, a Harbinger, and two Lesser Oxtets. And Lesser Oxtets are freaking sweet. They basically say when you play it, purge all other cards from your hand. And I honestly did not mind that because I had Brobnar that I didn't want to play. So it's like, get that Brobnar, get Lesser Oxtet, purge those, those big dudes out of my my deck i'm not going to get them again make my deck more efficient and uh it was really fun to play like this deck was i thought quite solid and there was times i was debating whether i should be playing this one first over my other stewardson bison wolf iokin because the way it just played it had a double mimicry in untamed which i loved and also a key charge and it just came down to that the 
the ability to control with the Stewartson, Bison Wolf, Iokin was so good. And it was, and I like playing a control game that it was the obvious one to go with in the way it could just burst sometimes. But I had a hard time really deciding whether or not this one should be actually my main deck to play. But the real problem with the deck is it's kind of neither here nor there. I like the deck, but it was missing some cards um, that could really elevate it, unfortunately. So it was, it felt like it was just, you know, a couple, a couple cards short from being a truly like spicy deck. And I feel like that's kind of the case sometimes when you're playing sealed. Uh, it happened a lot in AOA, but yeah, I, I did enjoy it. But like I said, it was just just missing a couple key pieces in the other houses. So I've alluded to this deck on a previous episode. This is Svensson, the Commissioner of Bone Wreck. And uh, like I said, uh, I was unsure if this deck was amazing or terrible when I first opened up. Turns out that it's neither amazing nor terrible, but people hate playing against it which gives you, I guess, a minor psychological advantage in a lot of ways. Uh, let me lay it out for you. It is a deck with three Fangtooth Caverns in it. If you are unfamiliar with Fangtooth Cavern, it is an artifact. It's got a pip of amber on it. It's an untamed. And it says, at the end of your turn, destroy the least powerful creature. So it's also got two unnatural selections. So unnatural selection, of course, is uh, a action in untamed that says, choose three friendly creatures and three enemy creatures, destroy each other creature. Um, so it's ultimate board control. Um, unfortunately, that means that both my own creatures and my opponent's creatures are targets for the Fangtooth Caverns. But what it meant was I could use the unnatural selections to keep the board under control until I got all three Fangtooths out. And then Fangtooth just took care of business every single turn. People play out their creatures. Fangtooth Cavern takes care of all the creatures on the board. And because I had played it a couple times, I understood I'm just discarding small creatures right away. I'm letting the board get wiped every single turn. And I'm only playing creatures that I feel like have a chance of surviving. And so it was, you know, super wild watching people just push creatures into Fangtooth over and over and over, playing them out on the board, then me playing bigger creatures, which is, of course, the best trick because then their creatures get wiped out, my creatures live, I get to use them the next turn. Um, the biggest problem with it, however, is the fact that it has a ton of small creatures, even in Brobnar, weirdly enough. Like, it's got Little Rapskull and Slimy Jark and Old Boomy, who are three of the smallest Brobnar creatures, and, they're, and the Stiltkin. I can't stand Little Rapskull. Yeah. So they never last uh, when it comes to the Fangtooth. The only thing they were good for is if I had four creatures in hand, I could throw out, you know, four Brobnar bodies and then, you know, Ogopogo and Alaka and the Mog Hunter would live and, you know, Slimy Jark and two of my opponent's creatures would die or whatever. That was really the only way that we could that I could make it happen. But, uh, you know, it was super fun to play. Uh, it led to some very long, grindy games. Um the big problem that it has is that it doesn't have a super ton of amber control. So if your opponent doesn't need a board to win, if they can just play stuff out for amber, it's got real no answer to it. Um, you've got power of fire, but that really does rely on having a Brobnar body big enough to make the loss work. And because the games tend to be slow grindy, you don't tend to draw a lot of cards. Um, actually getting that at the appropriate time to stop your opponent from forging was not a guarantee by any it seems there's a, a trend that has not evolved too much from AOA where we're seeing less Ember control in the decks, which I think is kind of how the game wants to be played by the designers is they they had maybe they overcompensated for Ember control in the first set. And I think they're now starting to switch it because it's not as bad as AOA, but I do notice you're seeing the same thing where there's there's kind of less Ember control 
or it's not as straight like you lose and I gain. It's more tricky ember control, like especially yeah. the key cost thing. I would tend to agree. However, I do think that one of the things about WC is that it has a lot of cards that allow you to impact key forging. So not necessarily yeah. what we traditionally think of Ember Control at common. Yes, yeah. I would agree. So we're thinking of things like Mustic Mermook and so on and so forth, ED 4x4 um, and so on. So there's lots of ways to to delay forging. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's much less of the, I can you know take away a large amount of Amber that you have. Although yeah. if we're being perfectly honest, Brobnar should still have uh, uh, the card that they had for uh, Incoda for Amber Control. Uh, that would not be... Not be out of place in current Brobnar lineups. Uh, yep. Rick, the third deck, the one you didn't get to play very much, if at all, what was it? Uh, the moderator that pollutes with screens. I had a great <laughs> day for deck names that day, I think. Yes, seriously. <laughs> uh, it was a logo, sorry, and shadows deck. This one got banned every single time except for one. It had great stuff in logos. It had three sanitation engineers. Two wormhole technicians, one fetch drones, one mimic gel. The Saurians had three chant of hubris, two quester jarda, two senator shrix. Yeah, it was great. The only thing there was a regrettable meteor, and then the shadows. It had it, it's its stuff, but uh, yeah, I would say the Saurians and the logos were the the better of the of this deck, and there there was one fun combo that I found actually just the other night in Saurians. It was Library of Polysaurus and Ch and uh, Chant of Hubris. Library of Polysaurus. It's, there's no Amber Pip. Action, move one from a friendly creature to your pool. So if you have a Chant of Hubris moving one Amber from a creature to another creature, move it from your opponent's board to your board, and then use the Library of Polysaurus to put it to your pool what was the deck you didn't get to play very much blake the name is almost kind of uh ironic because it's called statistician banning starmish and it was banned every single time except for one game and uh, it's a disaurian star alliance and this deck is so much fun to play it was if you're going on dok this was my highest ranked of the three so it was not uh improperly banned they were choosing the right one every time um, I'm not going to go into too much detail with it. Uh, just say one thing about it was in the Star Alliance, it had a General Order 24, which I must say is a pretty awesome card. Um, what it states is it's an artifact law that says at the start of each player's turn, they must choose a creature they control and destroy each creature of the chosen creature's house. If that player has no creatures in play, destroy General Order 24 instead. So basically you, what you do is if your opponent has only one house on board and let's say those are Saurians with lots of Ember on it, all you do is you drop this down and then literally next turn they have to wipe their board. They have no choice. It is so cool. It is it is like one of the coolest cards I've, I've gotten to interact with and I only got to play one game with it because it won right away. But I, I honestly like loved playing this and this is a deck I look forward to getting to know more because it's a lot of fun a lot of synergy in the deck, but this was the main card that got me really excited for it. So yeah, it's a fun, fun deck. How about you, Alex? What was your, uh, your most banned deck, I guess? 
the most banned deck was Talent Perko Cliff Counselor Brobnar Dis Star Alliance. Um, on paper, I think probably the best of the three decks um, and one that is super fun to play. I took it out to Chainbound last week just to give it a whirl and see how it played in that context. And man, I had an awesome time with it. It's got a couple of really cool things about it. My favorite thing is that it has the Brobnar artifact, the big one in it. So the way that artifact works is uh, you get a pip of amber for playing it, and it says after a creature is played, put a fuse counter on the big one. If there are 10 or more fuse counters on the big one, destroy each creature and artifact. So it's basically a huge board reset. So the trick is that if you get this out early, you can really, uh, I think, put the fear of God into your opponent. To They don't want to build a board. But if you have uh, sort of psychologically gotten past that idea, you know, you just want to cycle as fast as possible. It's really easy to take advantage of it. And there was a couple of games that I played in which I put it out early and people were worried about it. And I just went for it, right? And got a lot of value out of it being on the board because people were afraid to build anything without it being blown up. I think, Blake, you were the only person that twigged onto the philosophy of, oh, I'm going to start putting as many creatures out as fast as possible to trigger this and get it gone, essentially. Yeah, I have, um, I've I've used it before, so I've I've I learned my lesson about that card uh, in a sealed tournament as well. So yeah, I kind of I had I guess the inside scoop in a way. Yeah, the other great trick that it has is double E on the fringes, which means every time you discard and purge a discard, and you can discard from your own or your opponent's uh, discard pile, you steal two amber. So if you got both E on the fringes on the board and protected in some way then it was just a fiesta of stealing. Like, I, over the course of my games, I stole, you know, uh, probably at least a dozen Amber using that combo, which was awesome, and purged a ton of discards. Um, yeah. From me, just- too. I remember when, I think I, I triggered it by dropping a ton of disc creatures, blew it up, then you dropped your E on the fringes, and then you just were like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are tons of disc creatures, like Lilithal and Malison that I've never used in any real way because all I do is use them with E in the Fringes decks where I just use them to steal Amber and purge them out. And then like, Edorame. Have, yeah, yeah, exactly. Edorame, I really don't care for. Yeah, it's it's weird. I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's like there's these disc creatures that you're kind of like, yeah, I can live without these. We'll just get rid of them and take advantage of this other side of the game. Yeah. You know what? This guy's getting dropped next to Buzzle so that I can use Buzzle a bunch <laughs> exactly. of Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It was a super fun deck. Um, no real downsides to it, to be perfectly honest. Like, I feel like it has decent uh, control because it has double barn raising that I was able to get a lot of stuff out of. Um, it's got the the E on the fringes for stealing for control. Um, the It's not the most impressive Star Alliance lineup, but it's got, you know, two Lieutenant Karkar, which is great for protecting those E on the fringes. It's got a Special Agent Fingers for a little bit of additional steel. It's got a couple of decent artifacts. Like, it's just a good, solid not super top tier, but really playable deck, and I really enjoyed playing with it. Appropriate that we would be talking about Talent Perko Cliff Counselor last, because I learned an important lesson while playing it. It's time for the segment we all know. It's Help Help from Future Self. self. Here is the lesson that I learned this past week that I want to share with the world. Um, There is an artifact, or sorry, an upgrade rather, in Star Alliance called the Quadricorder. Um, Your opponent's keys cost plus one for each house represented amongst friendly creatures. When you are placing that, make sure you're placing it on a creature that has a chance of living longer than one turn. Um, Of course, there are some things that, you know, there's no getting around, huge board wipes and things like that. But because I was not thinking hard and I was spreading out a large number of creatures and upgrades, 
I threw it onto a one power creature, Special Agent Fingers, who got Seeker Needled off the board, which lost me the game. I could have held off for one more turn and won, and it was just sloppiness and carelessness. Um, the thing is that I just don't necessarily think about survivability when it comes to sort of these passive upgrades, ones like Discombobulator and so forth, and it's a lesson that I think we all have to learn now. So if you're using a uh, an upgrade that has a serious impact on gameplay in terms of uh, how it impacts your opponent and that doesn't need to be triggered with like a fight or a reap or anything like that, choose the body you think is going to last or has the best chance of lasting. Should be obvious, still a lesson I needed to learn the hard way. That's about it for this week's episode of Help from Future Self. You can, of course, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast on Twitter at podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram and Twitter and The Crucible under that name. Where can they find you, Rick? On The Crucible under Rickster78 and on Twitter at The Wheeling Keyforger. And what about yourself, Blake? You can find me on Twitter if you want to have a conversation at BLVD Paper Fight. And then you can also find me on the Crucible at Boulevard Paper Fight, where I'm now going in full swing with my Crucible and coffee, trying to do it at least three or four times a week now. So uh, if you see that in the morning, jump on and be a part of it. I love that series. Super fun to watch. I I check them out whenever they drop so that I can uh, have something to watch when I'm on the exercise bike in the morning. That's it for this week's episode. See you soon, Archons. And until then... Stay forging.